Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to challenge you to follow Christ, and to inspire you to lead a consecrated life. Have you ever heard of the Christian Disciples Church? They're a biblical Unitarian group scattered throughout Asia, primarily. In this episode, Calvin Chan, a senior pastor living in Toronto, who's been with the disciples since the beginning, will tell you the story of how this group got started as a student disciple movement, and also he'll share about how the founder, Pastor Eric Chang, re-examined what the Bible says about Jesus and had the courage to change his mind when he was in his 70s. Here now is Interview 47, Christian Disciples Church and the Only True God with Calvin Chan. Well, thanks so much, Calvin Chan, for taking some time out to talk with me today. Oh, you're welcome. Let's start with you. Uh, could you share a little bit about your own journey of faith and how you came to believe in Christ? Okay. I was uh, brought up in some kind of uh, Christian family. So when I was young, I already attend churches. I'm from Hong Kong, so I attend churches in Hong Kong. But uh, during teenagers, I think I lost interest of going to the churches. Uh-huh. Yeah. And but I got a chance to came over to Canada to study uh, after my high school in Hong Kong. So I, that is sometime around mid seventies. When I was in the university, I think I got a couple of uh, Christian friends and thing had a quite an impact on me. So then I started uh, to seek and also to pursue this spiritual directions. So I think at that time, probably around the second year of my university, I decided this is my path. This is my direction of life. So I commit my life to Christ. What were you studying at the time? At that time, I was just doing um, earth science, uh, today called environmental science, and um, focusing on the geology and uh, later on geochemistry. Okay. Yeah. So that was my field. Yeah. yeah during my school years. Uh, yeah. did, did you continue uh, with that or okay. no? No. How did you end up becoming a pastor? Actually, the time uh, when I decided to follow Christ, I already saw that this uh, the meaning of serving God and serving the Lord Jesus too. Yeah. So I think during my school years, uh, university years, actually I'm already towards that direction. Although I was, I was not interested in uh, serving God in the past, but when I uh, started to see the spiritual things, I see there is really no other purpose of life but to follow Christ to serve God. And then I was preparing during my school years also for the ministry. And uh, after school, uh, I already entered into the training, the Bible training, and later on into the ministry. Okay. So this was all with the Christian Disciples Church, correct? Yeah, that's right. Well, well t- yeah. talk a little bit about the organization and what it's like and how long the Christian Disciples Church has been around 
just in, in case people haven't heard of it, especially in America, we don't mm. have the Christian Disciples Church here, right? Yeah, we don't. Well, that is really the time when I was uh, in school. I got to know Pastor Eric, and who is uh, invited to pastor a church in Montreal. At that time, he was starting a discipleship program. And his discipleship program is actually a full-time two years, training the disciples or training the workers into the ministry. And actually, I was quite fascinated by that because uh, all along we thought that going to the ministry, we will go to conventional, traditional way. It will be the uh, Bible college or seminary and and henceforth and go into the field of the ministry. But I think at that time, the vision of discipleship, modeling the Lord Jesus, training the workers, was something that is, uh, caught my attention and really inspired my heart. Pastor Eric at that time was training the disciples, the co-workers, the full-time ministry. After that, he will send the co-workers out into the field to start the church. And at that time, uh, I think we are catching this idea of discipleship. That is where the Christian Disciples Church is uh, started to formulate. Yeah, all at right. that time, yeah, yeah. in is, the mid-70s. Fa- yeah. So you said in the mid-70s is when this was all happening. Yeah. This is fascinating. So this yeah. this really helps to explain the name Christian Disciples Church. It's really the focus on yeah. disciples in the middle there. This, for you, was happening at the same time you were in university, right? Correct, and correct. So you were living yeah. with other Christians at this time? Or you were uh, living in the dorm? Yes. Or what was your lifestyle like? My lifestyle, I think... I started to catch that idea of the communal life. So I was forming a household with Christians together, yeah, and then learning to take care of one another, to practice the, our Christian faith. During that time, I think there was an atmosphere of discipleship program almost on campus, like Campus Crusade, if you heard about also Navigators, yes, yeah. yeah. So I think they also was focusing on the discipleship. But I also interact with them a little bit. So that's why I got the idea that uh, uh, living together is actually to encourage one another to, to pursue the spiritual things. So I was living together with uh, uh, fellow students who also pursued the same faith. Yeah. Okay. And so this program, you said, t- lasted about two years. What was involved with this? Because this is really something that Eric Chang had had started. What was the schedule? What were the goals of the program? It, like you said, it wasn't just Bible education, although I'm sure that was part of it, right? Yeah, that's right. That program at that time I saw and then still are uh, practicing at the moment is that it will just basically teaching uh, spiritual principle from the Bible. Yeah. So at that time, they have about two to three uh, lessons a week. Each lesson is about two hours, and each lesson is a, a very focus on the spiritual principles. For example, a principle about righteousness. So Pastor Eric will be just going through the scriptural teaching 
about righteousness. Yeah. And uh, through that, we also learned the skill of expounding the Bible, which is, uh, uh, I think, in the scholarly world will be yeah. exegesis. So we uh, basically will go through that. And Eric Chang is basically going through principles after principles. Yeah. Or, for example, principles of uh, love, uh, love towards God, love towards one another love towards the world, uh, the people in the world. Yeah, well, that, that is a spiritual principle being taught uh, in the Bible. So he is basically extracting that and then to teach the, uh, the trainee. Now, what the trainee need to do, because it's only three times or two times a week, yeah, the rest of the time will be really a lot of self-studies, and uh, I continue to research because uh, in those days, it's not the computer age. So we will have a lot of tools uh, working on the original languages. Yeah. And then uh, looking at the other theological issues and uh, also compare with the commentaries. And so that's a lot of work because by that time, uh, the people who joined the training are already having gone through the university educations. That means academically, it was already trained yeah, in the sense of exploring, researching any topics given. Yeah. So I think the remaining time will be on that. Yeah. Very good. So this program was very successful. And, and this is when you first met Eric Chang? Yeah. That's right. What was, yeah. what was he like? Was he uh, very stern and strict? Was he very uh, warm and easy to talk to? I mean, what was his personality when you first met him? Uh, my impression was definitely uh, attracted by the approachability. That is a person that is very down to earth to the same level as you. Although he is a pastor, I was just only uh, early 20s, okay, but he was able to go down to my level, yeah, and communicate to me. Uh, so I find that it is not someone that is high up there and then uh, uh, very difficult to reach out. Yeah. So he, he lowered himself to my level and communicate at my level, at what I'm capable of. Yeah. And certainly I was uh, impressed by that uh, kind of a humility and also gentleness and also the personal concern. That was really uh, uh, impressed upon me, yeah. And, uh, but yet on the other side, the later on I got to know him, I realized that the even more outstanding quality is the love towards the Word of God, yeah. And then he never make any compromisation uh, for the Word of God. When it is the Word of God, he is determined to follow that and also uh, taught us to do that. He was educated in England, right? I mean, can, can you just tell us a little yeah, bit about right. Eric Chang and, and his, his own journey and how he ended up showing up in Montreal where you were? Okay, probably around the mid-50s, he, was, uh, he got well, an opening or uh, a study to, to England. Yeah. So he was traveling from Hong Kong all the way to England to be educated. It was first started in this uh, Scotland, uh, Glasgow Bible School. Yeah. So it's a two years training program. So after that, he went to London and then continued in 
London University and at the same time taking care of a church uh, because he had already had the Bible training, but he went on and uh, further education in London. And after that, he went up to Liverpool for about five years. And after that, uh, he got invited to Montreal to take care of a Montreal church in the mid-70s. Okay. When he was doing this ministry in Montreal, he was able to send out people and the Christian Disciples Church has been able to spread among other countries, mostly in Asia, correct? Correct, yeah. About how many groups are there now today? At that time I met him, it was only the first team, the first training. Right. And after that, he continued on. After uh, two years, he rest about one year, and he'll continue the second second team training. And then another one, he he continued on the third training. So by the time uh, finishing third training, he uh, uprooted from Montreal and went all the way back to Hong Kong to continue on training uh, the the workers. So by the time he finished all this, he had already had eight training yeah, altogether, eight training. Okay. So which is over about 100 uh, co-workers, uh, workers by that time already. Yeah. So are there always 12 in the training program? No, no. It depends uh, how many would like to apply and... Uh, after interviewing them and whether it is suitable, yeah. So uh, the size ranging from ten or all the way as big as forty. Oh wow! Yeah. And so as that continued to grow, how many different groups did the Christian Disciples Church spread to? We haven't really taken statistics on that, but uh, I just look at our web page. I think at the moment we have about. Uh, spreading around 10 countries, okay, uh, mostly in Asia and uh, except Canada, England, and Australia. I add up all together is around 35 churches at the moment and could be some other outreach Bible study in different areas. So it was not uh, recorded down. So it's around that. All right. So we're talking about a ministry that started in one place in Montreal and, right. and has spread around to, you said, the UK, to Australia, and to Asian countries. What Asian countries? Uh, Would be, well, Hong Kong, Singapore, Malaysia, and later on Thailand, and then uh, Indonesia, and also Philippines, and uh, India, and as far as to Nepal. Oh, wow. Yeah, Yeah. so that's that's a wide reach. I mean, they're not all clustered just in one little area. I mean, this is really spread around. That's right. That's really fascinating. So what Eric Chang did here is he, he invested the disciples with a missionary mindset. That's what it sounds like to me, because nobody's happy to stay in one place. They always want to go and preach somewhere else. Is that correct? Yeah, okay. That's that's really a great legacy. Now, let's talk about the Trinity, because this is more why I've heard of Eric Chang, because of his book, The Only True God. I wonder if you could share, since, I mean, for you, this was something that you were part of the whole time, because you're you're there from the beginning, really. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. (laughs) So... Correct. um, how did he come to doubt the Trinity in the first place? Okay. I mean, doesn't everyone just believe in the Trinity and not question it? 
<laughs> well, actually, we have been a um, very strong supporter of Trinity. And even in our training program, we spend quite a bit of a time discussing about Trinity. And we are trying to understand and communicate the concept of Trinity in the church and also to the people who are interested. Yeah. So we, you can say that we are very supportive to Trinity all along. And, uh, but as you already pick up the characteristics of our churches, uh, always thinking to reach out to others. One of the things that is in, in Eric Chen's heart is uh, to reach out to all nations. It's not just one nation. Yeah. So he had been thinking about the Jews, thinking about the Muslim. Yeah, all along. I think even in the uh, when I first met him. Yeah. Yeah. He is always thinking about a wider scope of outreach possibility. During the time of building up our church, of course, there's a little um, time to spend to reach out to other community, like uh, other people with different religion. So after the church being sort of uh, settled down a bit more uh, stable, and Pastor is already, already at the 70s. He is at the 70s already, yeah. So he is still thinking how to reach out to the Jews, and also to the Muslim, and how to tell them about the gospel. But every time to tell them about the gospel, we are stuck by this matter of Trinity, because as you know, the Muslim and the Jews do not take the Trinity. Uh, only the Christian, the traditional Christian, take the Trinity. So he was trying to understand uh, the Trinity, how to communicate. But at the process of that, uh, he went back to the scripture and looked at one more time about the Trinity in the Bible. Yeah, although in the past it was taught and also trying to explain. And he just one more time, this is where uh, he impressed me very much, is his devotion to the word of God. And then he taught us that. Yeah. So always check, recheck, and re-examine. So he did the same at the age of 70s to look at this matter of Trinity. So I think through that, he discovered something that Trinity is not even in the Bible. All right, well, let me pause you right there. So you're saying yeah. that his interest in the subject came as a result of his, his desire to bring the gospel to the Muslims. I mean, he wasn't satisfied in how far he had spread the gospel so far he w he was especially if you're you mentioned Indonesia if you're yeah. in Indonesia it's hard not to think about muslims i mean it's the most muslim country in the world so if you have a church there especially i'm thinking of there and also in um india nepal uh yeah. and these other these other areas where islam is more prevalent i could see yeah. why pastor eric would be interested in well, how do i how do we reach these people Exactly. You know? But uh, the thing that really stuck out to me there in what you were sharing, Pastor Calvin, was that he was in his 70s. Now, yeah. it's very rare to find somebody to consider such a uh, protected doctrine as, uh -huh. as you know, the deity of Christ, as uh, the personality of the Holy Spirit, as in the whole doctrine of the Trinity. 
even when somebody is in their 20s. And yeah. uh, typically, like in your own story here, when you're in your 20s is when you're most open to yeah. new ideas because you're usually at some sort of university and you're exposed to people from different backgrounds and you're, you're also trying to figure out who you are and what that's kind right. of life you'll have. And, uh, but that's not what happened with Pastor Eric. For him, it was in his 70s, and he says, you know what? I'm not too old to think about this. <laughs> All right. All <laughs> I'm right. not too you old right. <laughs> to yeah. change my mind. Which I, yeah. I think is very, that's a very strong point you make there, uh, and yeah. very encouraging. Yeah. Uh, so, so what happened as he searched the scriptures as a Berean to, to find the Trinity? You said he didn't find the word Trinity, uh, but w- what else as he looked through? Uh, I think just highlighted a little bit of the contrast. I think in the past, although uh, we couldn't find the word Trinity in the Bible, but at least uh, we were able to develop uh, explanation that Trinity was implied in the scripture. So we were working along that direction to explain the Trinity. So implied, it means that it's not there. So that's why he is actually rework uh, the whole thing. And then uh, he particularly focused on John because uh, he knows the scripture by <laughs> by now, at the age of 70, I think, uh, a lot of passages he had already worked through. And one of the passages that he wanted to rework is John 1.1. That he spent almost a lot of time, I think you were noticing uh, this uh, uh, TOTG, this book, I think he really worked very hard to explain John 1.1. What does it mean? Because uh, the Trinity is really based on maybe John 1.1. So I think he reworked on that and then tried to understand what does it mean. Yeah. So I think he, he realized that he went into a very big <laughs> ground opening work, yeah, so have to rework everything and discover that we are actually looking at the scriptures with our own preconceived idea. Uh, We read in our Trinitarian concept into this passage and to explain Trinity out of these passages. Yeah, so I think this is how he puts it. Yeah, we have already put the Trinity concept into the verse and explained Trinity out of that verse. Yeah, that was his discovery. In researching John one one, he saw that it there wasn't any explicit teaching of the Trinity. Instead, yeah. he only saw his previous interpretation his strategy for thinking about it, but it's not the same as reading it directly out from the scriptures. As he worked his way through, he must have been a little hesitant, maybe, or scared that he would find the Trinity was wrong. Because for many people, they would say, I don't even want to think about it. I don't (laughs) want to even question it. Because if I do, and it's wrong, maybe my salvation will be lost. Or... I will be excluded from any other Christian groups around because they consider it required for fellowship. Did uh, Pastor Eric go through any of these doubts as he was studying this? He uh, certainly have gone through those uh, doubts and questions, but I think this is where I find the quality of a person is really 
manifest. It is really loving the truth. It is a very humiliating process because all along he is working hard on the scripture. Yeah. And then he is very careful in expounding the scriptures. And when it comes to 70s, he had to openly admit that he is wrong. And that is quite a quite a um, step of humility. Yeah. So I think he did share that sometimes he said that why not just keep it to himself? Yeah, he discovered this. <laughs> it doesn't have to just uh, tell everybody. <laughs> and then, and I think in the TOTG, he's actually trying to make remedy of what he had been wrong in the past. I think that was the quality of a life that we saw. And it is an outstanding example. Uh, that is uh, definitely uh, a person is really uh, humble himself and uh, willing to just uh, admit that I'm wrong. I want to make it right. <laughs> so in the remaining time, I want to make it right. I think that really spoke to us a lot. Well, let's talk about the TOTG. That's, uh, for those who don't know, the book called The Only True God, which you can get a preview of on theonlytruegod.org, or it's yeah. also available on Amazon. So... The Only True God. This is the book that Pastor Eric wrote as a result of his research. What was the thinking behind this book, and what can you tell our audience about how the book is organized? Well, initially, he wasn't thinking of writing a book. Uh, initially, he was trying to explain what he is finding to the church, Yeah, because by that time, he was already explaining some of his discovery to the to the church. Now, what I meant to the church is he was he would explain it to the co-workers who is leading the church. So he can't just go to go to every churches and then tell them about the finding. So he will gather the co-workers uh, and meeting together and give them uh, what he had discovered. Yeah, so, and then he was trying to explain, as you can recall that he did it during the training. He will give sessions, what we call, uh, or lessons, yeah. So, and then he was going a, a period of time, about 10 sessions, 15 sessions about this, uh, uh, what he found about uh, uh, monotheism, yes. So it was a process of uh, one step at a time. Uh, so it was, but based on the scripture, what he found. By that time, the church is already aware of that. And then the co-workers was teaching the, the congregation about this too. And then, of course, by that time, uh, pastor was thinking uh, maybe a little bit more systematic will be good for the whole church to follow. So it was at that time he was thinking to write some article to the congregations, basically. He was uh, working so hard, <laughs> that article become a book, <laughs> basically. It's just a book. And he did it within about one year and three months. He was working on it and because he realized that uh, there is not much time uh, remain for him. So he worked as fast as possible. So within one and a half year that he, he finished the book. At the same time, still taking care of the church. Yeah. So he worked extra hard on that book. 
This book is a 684-page article. Correct. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> and uh, it came out, do you know what year it came out? It was uh, in 2008. Okay. He worked very hard on it because he knew that he didn't have long. Was he sick? He was weak all the time. Yeah. In the early 80s, I think he's already weakened a lot because he already had asthma, chronic asthma. And, and then because of uh, hard working, sometimes uh, just overwork. So I think uh, he was generally weak. Yeah. Okay. And so in a year and a half, he was able to get this incredible amount of writing done. This was really to help Christian Disciples Church understand the different verses and and also the, the positive teaching. It's not just about what yeah. the Bible doesn't teach, but what does it teach, about, exactly. especially about Jesus. What did he say in The Only True God about that? Uh, I think at that time, he didn't elaborate too much about the persons of Christ. Yeah, uh, That is where the second book uh, came up, the T-O-P-M, that is uh, uh, the only perfect man. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's kind that of like time, the sequel? That's right. That's right. Uh, but the first book, the T-O-T-G, what we call, is his focus on this uh, monotheism, yeah, that God is the only true God. And there is no other. So he was working on that uh, based on the scriptural teaching, yeah, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And uh, let me ask you this. When you first ha- heard about this teaching, whether it was from a session or from the book, what was your impression? I mean, were you just immediately willing to listen to it? Or did you think that Pastor Eric had maybe lost uh, some of his ability to reason? <laughs> what did, what did oh, you think? What was your impression? Well, for me, I have um, confidence on my teacher uh, because I've been with him all along. So when he says something, it is uh, never just, uh, well, casual or uh, haven't thought through it. So even though he had been really thinking about it, uh, he is already explaining yeah, why he is thinking about that. Yeah, so I think this personal relationship with uh, with Pastor Eric, I think I noticed something that is uh, is no joke. He must be wrestling with it. Yeah, so for me, I took it uh, open heart because I have full confidence on my on my teacher. So it. It's certainly very striking to me because I also uh, was teaching others about Trinity as he taught me uh, in the past. I also teach others about the Trinity the, the, the same way I receive yeah, with confidence that this is absolutely right. And now I also have to stand up that I was wrong. <laughs> so, of course, uh, I was just following my teacher. In this way, I have a good example to follow. I see. Yeah. So that made it easier for you yeah, to make that admission. Mm-hmm. And uh, so as a group, I mean, you have all these different congregations all spread around. Surely some people stood up somewhere and said, hey, this is crazy. Everybody knows that Christianity is Trinitarian since... 1700 years ago, I'm not going to stay. Was there, was there a lot of 
church splits and leaders that divided and fought against this, or did pretty much everyone go along with it? Ah, this is the amazing thing God had been doing in in us. Only few, when I look at the the uh, the list, it's only actually come to think about it. It's only few co-workers who could not take this change, and he they decided to leave. Yeah, that's all. But we don't want to press because that is also one strategy that Pastor Eric holds is even though he is making that switch, he is not forcing everyone to follow. That is not his uh, uh, policy. He make it known that this is uh, the scriptural teaching that he discovered. But whether others would like to follow, it is really up to them. They really have to do their own research their own finding. The TOTG, this book, is actually providing ways for them to examine, cross-examine by themselves. Yeah. And so and nobody is forced to change. So actually he has already made a policy to the co-workers, yes, even though if a person is still holding Trinity doctrine, we will not ask them to live because they hold the Trinity doctrine. This is not the way that we should do. Yeah. Uh, so we never ask people to leave, uh, even though if they do not agree. So they are all welcome to continue on to fellowship. So I think that is also a very outstanding example that we do not kick people out of the church uh, because of a different doctrine. But as a result, there are few who left, and that is a very small percentage. Actually, majority, and then actually, uh, at the end, uh, most uh, remain uh, to continue to cross-examine the teaching, whether it is right, and then continue on to stick with the church. So if you had to put a percentage number, I realize that this would be a guess, but like, are we talking about 70% went along with it, or wh- what would you say? If I have to put in, uh, in the percentage... I can only say almost 95 to 98% remain. All right. That helps to understand what you're saying. So yeah. this was overwhelmingly accepted, not all instantly, but over time. Yeah, correct. Is it the case that today within the Christian Disciples Church, there are some congregations that still believe in the Trinity? Oh, no. By now, I think they all really follow along. The okay. monotheism. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that transition period is long in the past. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. this, this is 10 years since the book. That's right. We have already made the complete transition. This is now part of the DNA of the Christian Disciples Church. I mean, originally it was this idea of really adopting total commitment, the lifestyle of Jesus and his disciples. And now this is, from my understanding, really something that fits in with that. Because yeah. Jesus believed in the only one true God, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so this just fits in with that, that whole mindset, and it's really part of the really the first things that you say on your website here, uh, christiandiscipleschurch.org, uh, right under the words Christian Disciples Church Online, it says, a return to biblical monotheism, and then there's a picture of a globe with yeah. the name of God above it. So this is really something that's a front-runner in your ministry, whereas a lot of us who have come to the same conclusion as you, 
and your group and Pastor Eric have mm. uh, tended to be a little afraid to be so bold because we know that other Christians, well, they used to kill us for <laughs> not believing the Trinity. Thankfully, they stopped doing that, burning us. But, mm. um, you know, there's a lot of shyness in some uh, churches and some Christian groups on this subject. How has it worked out for you being bold, uh, at least as an organization? Has there been a lot of uh, a, a lot of other groups that have spoken against the CDC? Have you been labeled a cult or heretics, or how has that been? Yes, that is also true. In battling this, I think we have been labeled with all kinds of bad names. Uh, that is done mostly in Asia area. So when we are in the Western world, uh, because not too many people know about us, yeah. But in Asia, I think uh, there was uh, a lot of uh, writings to describe this group is bad, has already gone into the wrong path. And then uh, I think bad names, I think not lacking of bad names, yeah. And But I think the brothers and sisters, the congregations stood firm. And that period of time seems to be over, is uh, slowing down, because there is nothing new to say to us. And, and we have suffered quite a bit uh, because of that, because in our evangelism, any new person we reach out, and immediately they heard about this bad news. Yeah, So they are afraid because they are they certainly are not uh, familiar with what is the Christian teaching, so they are uh, worried. And especially when people say that we are not following the tradition, uh, the mainstream, uh, mainline Christianity. So I think people got scared. So we have suffered a bit of an evangelism, but uh, that is the price we have to pay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Jesus certainly suffered persecution, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. And uh, he promised that his followers also would suffer persecution. And it's interesting, if you look at the persecution that Jesus faced throughout his ministry and the persecution that his immediate disciples faced, it was all from the Jewish people that believed very similarly to him, believed Mm. in God, they believed in the Bible, but they didn't believe in his correct identity. You know, they yeah. thought he was just a false prophet or maybe a true prophet, but, you know, they didn't think he should have the title Messiah, certainly. Thinking of Paul, in particular, traveling around, proclaiming Jesus as Messiah, and he would get physically beaten up by his own people as a result of that. So this is part of, once again, being a true disciple, is suffering that reproach, facing that persecution with boldness, without caving to it. You know, yeah. I mean, where would we be... If the first time Paul got made fun of or beaten up, he quit, mm. right? So uh, right. we wouldn't have three missionary trips. It would just be the first one. <laughs> Correct. Correct. And not all That's the way through, right. just, just part of it. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah. Uh, l- let me ask you to, to just look into the future a little bit. Where do you see the future of Christian Disciples Church and the movement? Do you see it growing in Asia? Uh, what about China? I know there's a lot of limitations there. What, what do you see as the future? In the future, we certainly will continue to work as we have been doing in the past to reach out. Our advantage of that uh, is we are being Chinese descent, and Chinese is everywhere in the world anyway. Yes, that's, that's certainly true. 
<laughs> so that means we virtually can go to any country to reach out even to the Chinese. It's already a ministry. <laughs> That's why I often dream about going to uh, Africa, just to reach out, not the people in Africa, even to reach out to the Chinese, my fellow countrymen. It is already a ministry. Yeah, had it not the work that I need to, I'm committed to, and I am still responsible. Uh, so maybe I can't leave at this point. And, and because that is also no opening yet. Yeah, but we are still carrying on that uh, Matthew, the Matthew 28, the Great Commission, that we will go and make disciples of all nations. Because uh, as Matthew 24 says that uh, uh, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and the end will come. Yeah, Because if the gospel is not preached in all nations, that means the end cannot come. So we're still holding it very strong to make disciples of all nations. Yeah. And everywhere when people are open to the truth and open to the word of God. Let me ask you one last question. Yeah, uh, sure. What do you think about other biblical Unitarian groups? Do you see any potential in working together or uh, are you more focused on you know, just the Asian side? Because I, I don't think there are very many... BU groups active in Asia apart from you guys? I will say that uh, God uh, is um, giving us this opportunity to, to interact with you. I think this is something we are looking forward. What will be the opportunity uh, of working together to just, uh, well, in that sense, hasten the coming of the Lord, yeah, to to make disciples of all nations. So we, we, I, I will not be just focusing on the Asian. Yeah, I will, uh, it's all nations. This uh, God has a heart for everybody. And we must also learn to work with one another, whatever nations, whatever ethnic groups. Yeah. Uh, so although I, I can say that I first to my countrymen, just like Paul has a principle, I first to the Jews and then to the Greek. So I follow that principle that I will certainly, well, my first, my, my countrymen, but also to everybody. So that's why we, we also at this moment are launching out to different, different areas uh, to do the missionary work. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you so much today, Pastor Calvin Chan, for taking some time out and for uh, sharing this very exciting journey that you've been on and uh, about your, your group and what God's been doing among you guys. Oh, my privilege and my honor. Well, that's it for today's interview. If you want to learn more about the Christian Disciples Church, you can visit them online at christiandiscipleschurch.org. And you can read the book that we've been talking about, TOTG, The Only True God, at theonlytruegod.org. Before signing off, just wanted to read out some recent feedback. Troy Salinger writes on Interview 46, the last interview in the series, with Bill Schlegel on Misunderstood Texts About Jesus. He says, Sean, thanks for having Bill on for this fantastic series. I'm sorry that it's over. I can't, can't you find some more <laughs> misunderstood texts? Regarding the title, The First and the Last, I'm thinking, rather than trying to figure out in what way he is the first and in what way he is the last, perhaps it is just an idiom, meaning something like the only one in a class. So when applied to Yahweh means he alone is God the creator, 
When applied to Messiah, he is the only human to hold a specific place or position which he holds, the firstborn, the head, etc. Thanks again, and keep up the good work. Thanks, Troy, for writing in. I'm sure we could find plenty of more misunderstood verses on a whole wide range of subjects uh, to quiz Bill on, but uh, I thought four was probably a good amount for what we had to work with. We may do more in the future. I really enjoyed peppering Bill with all of these verses and, and listening to his very capable responses. As far as your suggestion, the first and the last meaning, one of a kind, I, I don't know. I've never heard that before. I'd be interested to hear anyone else weigh in on that if you think that works. Please leave a comment on Interview 46, Misunderstood Texts About Jesus. It might have potential. I'm not sure. Uh, also, Bill Schlegel himself commented and said, Sean, can we do a three-participant interview with Troy on Hebrews 1, please? Well, Bill, uh, that sounds like a great idea. I'm just not sure as far as scheduling when to fit that in. I've been doing a number of interviews. I've got a couple in the can already. And I really want to start my theology class that I taught over the last couple of years at the Atlanta Bible College, kind of weaving two classes together to form a, a more comprehensive theology class for you on this podcast. And I was thinking of starting that in early January, you know, the whole idea of like, it's a new year, let's let's try some some new education, some new theology education. But uh, hey, I'm open to it, so let's see what we can do here with Troy. I'm not making any promises, but Hebrews 1 is certainly an interesting text, Christologically, to, uh, to delve into. Lastly, Sean Holbrook wrote in on Interview 44 to Greg Logan, who had made a comment about John 20, 28, of, of a very interesting comment. And uh, Sean writes, I don't believe the John twenty twenty eight exegesis is strained at all if one bases their views on very recently taught things by Jesus in John 14. One of the main tenets of John 14 was Thomas not understanding that to see Jesus was to see God the Father. Most explicitly the fact that Jesus said something about his own resurrection and what would come about once he was raised. He quotes some of those verses there. And then he he really goes for Greg's main point, which if you don't if if you don't remember, Greg's main point was that it's a singular personal pronoun there. When Thomas speaks to Jesus, it says he said to him, and this is a, a singular pronoun. He does not say he says to them, to Jesus and God. And then he says, "My Lord and my God." So uh, Sean writes, one may also say something to someone, and it not be addressed directly to them. Take the English phrase as if I'm speaking to you aloud. Greg, you're doing well, my friend. Praise God. And it's perfectly obvious I'm not calling you, Greg, God. I'm addressing you directly about praise to another. Then there is also the argument that the Lord of me and the God of me, Greek construct, does fit a grammatical consistency of speaking to two persons, not one person, based on Granville Sharp. This is the exact contrast to what Trinitarians often try to do with Titus 2.13 with the Granville Sharp construction. I don't make this the main thrust of my claims when speaking about it, but it is of note. I'm sure you're aware of this more so than I am. I haven't delved into Greek in a long time. Don't misunderstand me either. While I may disagree with you and your understanding, yours is a perfectly legitimate understanding. We just don't see the need to understand it that way and don't find it disconcerting one way or another to call Jesus God based on our understanding of the term biblically. 
Hey, Sean, you make some great points there. Thanks for writing in. I will just say one thing about the Granville Sharp rule, which is this this rule is highly suspect. Uh, Jason David Badoon really tore it to shreds in his book, Truth in Translation, a book about translation bias, which is available online. You can uh, search for Jason Badoon, Truth in Translation, and read up, uh, look up what he says about the Granville Sharp rule. Essentially, he says this rule was specifically invented to prove the deity of Christ. I haven't delved into the history of this alleged rule much. I can tell you that I did not learn it in any of my Greek classes. I went through elementary Greek, intermediate Greek, advanced Greek, classical Greek, uh, and nobody ever mentioned it. So I'm not saying that doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but it is definitely something that I would be very hesitant to, to get involved with. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. That's it for today. We'll see you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.